What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadl. Welcome to Sundays with Kate our podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. This is Murtada El Fadl, and today we are discussing the 2002 film Heaven, and my guest is Kyle Stevens. Hi, Kyle. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Very excited to have you on the podcast to talk about Kate and about Heaven. And before we jump dive into our conversation, tell our listeners a little bit about you. Uh, I'm a professor of film studies. Um, this coming semester, I'll be doing a visiting gig at MIT, which is very fun. Usually, I'm at Appalachian State University in North Carolina. I work on a couple different things, some queer cinema uh, articles, um, sound, um, but a lot, of, a lot of things about film performance. I've edited a couple books about screen performance, and my first book was about Mike Nichols and psychological realism, so that involves a lot of discussion of performance, too. And one of the books you edited has Kate as Blue Jasmine on the cover, right? It does, yes. The American uh, collection, the collection on American screen performances, great screen performances. It's got lots of good um, writers and scholars from, from all over doing doing work. And yeah, I think um, Blue Jasmine is such, a, such an amazing performance, so we put it on the cover. Yeah, it deserves to. It deserves everything. It does. <laughs> but we're here to talk about Heaven, which is a movie that was released in 2002. It stars Kate and Giovanni Ribisi. It's directed by Tom Tickfer. Mm. It was written by Christoph Kislavsky and his writing partner, Christoph Piskowitz, I think, uh, who together made Blue, White and Red, the trilogy. And this was supposed to be um, a new trilogy, Heaven, Hell and Purgatory. And... Kislovsky died before they were able to make the movies. And I think, I'm not sure, was he always meant to direct them or did Tom Tickfer come in before he died or after? I'm not sure. But anyway, Tom Tickfer directed it and this was the only one in the trilogy that was made. So, I knew a little bit about the Kislovsky, but I didn't know the whole story. Um, yeah, I don't know if he was meant to direct them. One assumes, though. Yeah, right. Yeah. So the movie was released in 2002. Kate plays Philippa Picard. It's a very double P name. Um, she's an English teacher living in Turin who she carries out a terrorist attack. Um, the reason she does that is because her husband was killed by this corrupt policeman who deals drugs or he's mm -hmm. a corrupt businessmen in cahoots with the police who deals drugs let me correct that and she had tried to get justice the regular way but couldn't and then plants a bombs in this man's office the bomb doesn't kill him but actually kills four other innocent people and the movie starts with her on the day that she carries out this attack and then through the interrogation giovanni ribisi is the other main character in the movie and he plays one of the police people interrogating her. He's an interpreter, and for some reason he sees her and he falls in love. I understand that as a Kate fan. <laughs> you see that face, you fall in love. That's <laughs> true. And then he they he breaks they break out, and the movie then becomes something else other than what it was in the first half. So you like this film, right, Kyle? 
I do. I do. I like it very much. Um, I, before I even talk about that, I'm curious and I'm interested in thinking about it as a terrorist attack. Mm. I mean, I feel like in a way, I mean, you could call it vigilante justice, mm-hmm. um, which might also be a terrorist attack. But it, I mean, I think one of the things I guess I like about the film is that it's like high tragedy, mm-hmm. right? Where like the action we're sort of on board. Like, this is such a corrupt system and so many... There's all these children that die, right? Mm-hmm. There's been all these yeah. I mean, this 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 is a bad guy, right? And he's a very uh, bad guy. He's killed lots of people with all the drugs that he deals. And he's basically... She's a teacher and she talks about how so many children um, yeah. that she teaches have died. And she even, she even goes in one scene to explain in sort of gruesome detail how one of them died as a result right. of this man's actions, yes. Right. So it's not, she's not trying to create terror, right? She's trying to sort of like just rid the world of this bad guy. I'm not like endorsing taking. No, um, no, I think this is a great point to to bring up because I guess I'm just conditioned to somebody planted a bomb. They're a terrorist. So, but it's Mm. good to interrogate it. Yeah. Because I don't, because then I, I feel like we start to misunderstand kind of like what's good about the movie, but also what's, interesting about her performance too mm-hmm. yeah and and, and the, the feminist aspect of it too i mean i think that especially back in 2002 it was so unusual to see a woman and a you know a teacher saying saying like enough right and and trying to like protest and disrupt the system mm-hmm. um, again i'm not endorsing <laughs> planting track <laughs> and bomb we know you're not but endorsing. like in fiction you know like this is something were batman doing it we would applaud right yeah totally i mean she's she is as imdb says takes the law into her own hands right um, so i guess this is the filmmaker's description yeah. of the action so there's uh, also no law going around <laughs> like the whole system is so corrupt right so there's just no law at all in this world Yes, absolutely. I mean, she she does that because the law has failed her, basically. It failed everyone. Failed those kids. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the action is good, even if the consequences are awful, right? And that's what Mm. I think is so like high tragedy about it. Like she's she's done the right thing. Like that, our actions have consequences like well beyond our intentions, and then that's when it's like really tragic. Yeah. I mean, that's the sort of moral question at the center of the film, like. Yeah. Just what you said. We are with her because she was doing the right thing. She wanted to kill one person. What has happened is that she killed four other innocent people, and the person she wanted to kill is actually still alive. Yeah. So she has to grapple with the consequences of what she did. But it's so much. It makes it so much more interesting than like a, a typical Bonnie and Clyde kind of story, mm-hmm. where you know okay, they're, they're stealing money from banks, so we call them anti-heroes. But in fact, we all agree that capitalism and banks are bad. And so, like, they're really just heroes, right? Like, yeah. people talk about anti-heroes all the time, and really, they're just heroes. And we just judge the system that they're fighting against. Whereas this is much more complicated. Like, all the guilt and, and um, regret that she has. Like, she's still... And that's what I think is great about Kate Blanchett's performance. Like, she sustains that level of agony over what she's done Mm -hmm. even though she thought it was the right thing to do and it wasn't maybe the right thing to do but she still has this like moral center to it which is like a real anti-hero i feel like you don't see that very often yeah and i think a lot of like we have to talk about the interrogation scene right so the interrogation scene is basically the centerpiece of the movie it's a very very long scene after she's arrested she didn't try to hide or anything she knew what she was doing after she's arrested she is interrogated by 
Giovanni Ribisi as the interpreter and two other Italian policemen. And at that time, she just thought she killed who she intended to kill. But I think the masterstroke in this performance is as she's being asked questions, she learns that she killed four innocent people. And that's... It's amazing. <laughs> it is so amazing. Like, <gasps> I the... couldn't breathe. I saw this in the theater. I think it came out in Germany first. I think I was still living in Germany when I saw this. I know my DVD copy is German still, so I must have seen it there. Um, and I just couldn't breathe. I mean, this is like way before birth. Mm-hmm. Right. And that like really famous close up of Nicole Kidman that people yeah. still go on and not, which it's a great close up. But yeah. I, I want people to see this one, too, because <laughs> it's unbelievable what she goes through in this incredibly long extended close up. Yeah. So she doesn't know what happened. They tell her what happened. And just as Kyle was just talking about the emotions on her face oh, as gosh. she realizes that she has killed for innocent people. It is it is so perfect. Um, it's it's unbelievable acting, it really is. Quattro, si, quattro. Oh, was it only four people who died? Sono solo quattro persone morte. Non gliene bastano quattro. No, 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 I just mean the office. The man in the office, I put the bomb in his office. I... L'ufficio, l'uomo nel quale organizzazione ha messo la bomba? Chi l'ha addestrata? Dove ha preso la bomba? Chi le dà gli ordini? Nobody. E suo marito? I... I don't have... I don't have a husband. He's dead. He overdosed. Look. Un overdose. You know all this. Ma voi lo sapete. I've been calling, I've been writing, I've been trying to get your attention for years. Ho ho scritto, è andato avanti per anni. ha telefonato? Here, the carabinieri. The carabinieri. Che cosa voleva dei carabinieri? I wanted to talk to them. I wanted to tell them about the the man who controls the drug scene. Volevo parlargli dei. No, I knew him. He studied with my husband. Because of him, children die every week. Studiavo con mio marito. A causa sua ci sono ragazzi che muoiono ogni settimana. A causa sua ieri sono morte quattro persone. And I think everybody, like I read um, a few reviews um, to to prepare to talk to you today and everybody spends at least one paragraph talking about that scene and the emotions of her face. (laughs) How could you not? I, yeah, I do. Especially if you do like long close-ups like in birth and and it's such a, that's such a famous shot, but I feel like this one really should get as much attention. Yeah, and unlike Burst, this is one that's that's just acting. There is no music to tell you how to feel. Mm. There is no clever setup before mm. to sort of build your emotions. It's just an interrogation scene. It's before the close-up. It's just two people in mid-shots talking to each yeah. other, her and in the interrogator, and lots of cutbacks to Giovanni as a third person there interpreting. So you think it's just this everyday scene that is not any special thing it's not set up as special and then Mm. just in the middle of the conversation like this is maybe three minutes into this very long scene so in the middle of this conversation suddenly this huge revelation happens Mm. and then it becomes this completely different scene and it's just kate is holds that um close-up so well 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> we already knew she could carry a movie because of Elizabeth and stuff. Um, yeah. But this was just like, she's so major in that moment. It was something that we hadn't seen before on screen. I've always thought, or like fantasized about making a list of like all the like thoughts and feelings you see her go through in that <laughs> scene. Like, I feel like it would take pages and pages because she goes through so many like things like that. It's so clear the things she's thinking and feeling as this like realization dawns and it really sinks on in like that these people are dead and what she's done and that this guy's still out there. And it's just like on and on and on, but it's yeah. amazing. So many things. And I also love like later on in the scene, she just, the scene continues and they continue the interrogation and this realization first that she killed these people and then that the person she wanted to kill is still alive. So, Mm -hmm. and at just one point she gets so overwhelmed that she faints. And that fainting as someone who like, I've watched Kate a lot and I know how she can use her body to not only just act with her body and fill the frame, but also to give us a beautiful image. Like mm-hmm. I think of this as a sister to that scene in Carol where she gets up while um, uh, that Christmas scene, that date with, um, oh. with Rooney where um, she is playing with the Christmas presents and then she gets yeah. up and that's the getting up scene, very smooth. Yeah. And this is the opposite. So here she's not getting up from the floor. She's falling into the floor and just also falls very beautifully. Yeah, she didn't just start yoga recently. She's been, <laughs> she's had the core strength for a long time. She yeah. knows exactly how to do that. Yeah, it is, it is quite lovely. There are a couple of rave reviews for Kate Blanchett in heaven that I thought I must quote just a little bit from. So Stephen Holden in the New York Times says, and this is a quote, although Ms. Blanchett's face has always registered emotion with a mercurial fluidity, the immediacy of feeling she conveys in heaven is astonishing. It allows her to carry off the seemingly impossible feat of making us care passionately about a woman who has committed an unforgivable crime. And Roger Ebert says, Blanchett's performance confirms her power once again. She never goes for an effect here, never protects herself, just plays the character straight ahead as a woman forced by grief and rage into a rash action and then living with the consequences. You see why I had to quote those. I mean, we, I mean, you know, saying that she like blows you away when she's a lead in a movie now just sounds silly. But um, I mean, at that time, Elizabeth was, I think Elizabeth is an amazing, amazing performance. Um, and then talented, talented Mr. Ripley kind of blew everyone away as well right she just steals that whole movie she does <laughs> like that came the year stars after. At the time yeah uh, i don't actually know how well elizabeth did at the box office but it it felt to me like and this is before twitter mm-hmm. um it felt to me and my friends like kate blanchett was very much you know like our discovery right like we all felt um a special connection to this kind of quirky australian actress who is 
like not Angelina Jolie and not Gwyneth Paltrow and not Winona Ryder. Like she was young and beautiful, but in such a quirky way, right? Like her ears stick out and her like, her lip is kind of far from her nose and she has a wide bridge of her nose and stuff. Like she shouldn't really be like the most beautiful woman in the world, but she, she's <laughs> right. And it was yeah. just, it was amazing. And it did feel like, um, like an answer to some of those other actresses that I mentioned who are so good. I like them too, but, um, for her to like kind of break out in the mainstream with things like Talented Miss Ripley, but then go and do this like Tom Tickfer German film, like half in Italian and um, yeah, like work with the director of Run Lola Run. It was just like, she was just so cool at that yeah. point, right? Like it yeah, just felt it really, really cool. And then shaving her head for the role, right? Like it was just like everything about her at the time and this role just dripped coolness. Um, yeah. Like totally easy to love. And then she gives this incredible performance and carries the whole movie and, you know, in just a white t-shirt and a shaved head and, and she's glorious. She is so glorious. I also like in the first few minutes of the movie as Philippa is preparing for her big day, the movement that where she's just walking around, it's completely different. Like just, I just said that she always uses her body, but that walk, she usually glides mm. on screen. And mm. as Philippa, she's not gliding. She's walking more awkwardly. It's not exactly a waddle, but it's definitely not the usual glide that she does as Carol or Blue Jasmine or no, not at even all. Yeah. Bob Dylan. Right. She's carrying the weight of the world here, right? Yes. I mean, she's, she's undoing everything she believes in. I would be totally unsurprised to find out she'd put, like, weight in her shoes or something to... Yeah. to give that effect because you're right it really is like a plotting kind of yeah yeah walk. or you know some very heavy stones in her handbag or something yeah. <laughs> the other thing uh, i wanted to talk about is she plays an english person but or an english teacher who is from england but mm. she lives in Ital in italy and she speaks italian and giovanni rivisi is italian and as someone whose you know mother tongue is arabic is arabic Sometimes when people speak other languages that they don't know, like I'll give you an example of Naveen Andrews in Lost, who played an Iraqi person who was supposedly speaking Arabic, yet literally he was speaking gibberish. <laughs> no, nobody who speaks Arabic understood a word that he said in that, in that series. And recently I saw just the trailer for an Isabel Huppert movie where she speaks Arabic, same thing. You don't understand oh, wow. the word she's saying. So it's it's actors who learn phonetically. I trust yeah. Gateway's accent. She's always perfect. But I don't know if this would be jarring to Italian speakers or not. Maybe Giovanni's might be even more jarring. I don't know if they learned Italian or they just, you know, learned the sounds. I think I have vague memories of them doing press at the time and talking about learning Italian. But I can't really recollect anything with certainty. I would imagine that it would be intelligible, but I can't really, really speak to that either. Yeah. Um, so I would mention tangentially that Meryl Streep and Sophie's Choice, her German actually has a Polish accent. Like not only is it intelligible German, but it has a Polish, perfect Polish accent yes. in German. It's amazing. Yes, of course, Meryl would do that. And I think Marion Cotillard in The Immigrant also mm -hmm. speaks with a, a certain Polish accent from the Polish region where that character came from. Wow. So I think Kate is will probably be with the company of those women, and this mm -hmm. would be perfect Italian spoken 
with an English accent because mm -hmm. her character is English. But anyway, any Italian native speakers who are listening to this, tell us about the Italian Please. in yeah. heaven. So I wanted to talk also in this movie, like the, the plot is sort of, it's a little facile. Like they, you know, they escape very easily and then yeah. it becomes a series of they meet his dad, they meet her friend. It's, it sort of becomes a fable um, mm -hmm. and it's not like a real plot heavy movie or it doesn't really make sense. It's kind of all unreal, even though it starts in this very grounded, real thing that happens that's death. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like that about the movie. The movie becomes like almost a different movie in the second half. What did you think of that? It does. Well, I think, I think it's an art film, right? I mean, mm -hmm. take for Run Lala Run is like one of the great experimental kind of films. You know, it's it's got the kind of video game structure where the main character dies, sort of, and comes back to life, right? And the story kind of happens three times, and it's all about chance and contingency. And, um, and I think that clearly there's something about chance and contingency at work in heaven, where you know the bomb kills the wrong people. It doesn't happen. <laughs> So it's not, it's not as light or, uh, you know, effervescent as Ron Lola Run, of course. But I think that there's still a lot of style here, right? Like we've already talked about like the really long close up. Mm -hmm. So and that's what art films do, right? They tell you like, ooh, here's a gritty story, you know, drugs, corrupt law enforcement, all of that, like, all of this like shitty stuff going on. And it feels very yeah. teens overdosing, right? It feels very um, realist. But then it's told in a really non-realist style, right? Mm -hmm. So you get a really great actress like Kate Blanchett and you do long close-ups and, and you do this really stylized ending. Um, but that's just kind of what art films do and that's what gives them their their fable-like quality. They just mm -hmm. like throw it back to us. Like here, we, we don't know what to do. We can't reconcile having like super stylish depictions of the world with really gritty depictions of the world. So we'll just create an ambiguous ending and make you figure it out. I mean, it's, it's, it's a cop-out. It's totally... It is. It's, it is. Yeah. And, you know, this is why... I, I like what you said, but I think this is why some of the critics were not into this movie, is because this second part is very fable-like, and it's completely unreal when the first part is so grounded in reality. And some mm. of the reviews that I read talk about this sort of jarring turn from one part of the movie to the other but I thought just it all worked because the movie is trying to tell us the story about what taking justice into your own hands mean what you know chance and repercussions from things that are that you know we are not in control of can lead to lives lived you know with tragedy but then it's also literally these two people ascend to heaven in the end so so they had to do something yeah. to like go from that first part to the second part i mean but it's also they're still on the run i mean if this is heaven it's a pretty shitty heaven right um this is it doesn't make us feel good at no, the end not at all. it doesn't feel like a happy ending and it doesn't feel like oh they're getting their their reward for their sacrifices on this planet, right? They're not, yeah, They're this not. isn't really transcendent. It's not transcendent, but it's also the only way it can end, right? I mean, some people would say like, maybe they should be arrested and that would make it like kind of what would happen in real life. But I think the ending this way, even though they do ascend to heaven, it's, and to your point, it's not like a happy ending, 
But it just means that it's even heaven, if it exists, is just going to be as fucked up as the world that we live in. And this is kind of why I like the ending. I also feel like that sort of sinking feeling that the ending gives you, I think, means that we all know they're going to get caught. They're they're not going to have a good Mm -hmm. life. Right. We just don't need to see it dramatized in front of us. Right. We don't need to see that violence, too. We can just like let them go. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I've never felt that the movie was jarring in like a first half, second half kind of way. Mm-hmm. I mean, the love story kind of, you're not prepared maybe for that in the very beginning, but I've never felt that it was jarring. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't feel it was jarring either, but I think just some of the reviews I read said that. Yeah. But I didn't. But the love story is a good, it's a good thing to talk about too, because... Um, I really like the confession scene in the church where they go after they escape. And we talked a little bit earlier about how Giovanna Ribisi takes one look at her and falls in love, yeah. which we understand, but maybe in, in the real world doesn't doesn't make lots of sense. I don't know. I think it can happen. I think it can happen. I'm sure it's happened to her many times. To be Probably, yes. I mean, it happened to me when I saw her the first time in Elizabeth. So, yes. But then... You know, in that confession scene in the church, she's confessing. It's a beautiful scene. It's another close-up. Way to mm. give Kate lots of close-up. Thank you, Tom Tickfer. It's another <laughs> close-up. She's confessing a real sort of Catholic church confession about how she's been mean to her mom and sister and then goes into how she killed people. Um, and at the end of it, he's listening and he's entrapped because he's so in love. Um, he tells her, I love you. And her reaction is just, she's still in that, in that sort of, frame of mind of confessing and and you know thinking about the gravity of all that she's done but also she's just like bemused by him and she just mm-hmm. says i know as if like boy you crazy why do you love me <laughs> another one another yeah <laughs> i've done a lot of damage and some really stupid stupid things i've lied to my mother and to my sister many, many, many times. I was unfaithful to my husband once. And I didn't do everything I could to save him. Four people died because of me. And I can't live with that. I'll never be able to. I shot a defenseless person, which you know. But what you don't know is I've ceased to believe in sense, in justice. I think they're great together. I really like them. I like them here and in The Gift together. I think Giovanni Ravisi has a kind of intensity that works well with her. 
I really liked him in this one. I didn't really like him in The Gift. I thought he was going a little too big, but I really loved him here. I think he played sort of like the boyish confusion about love. He's obviously uh, someone, he's playing somebody younger than her. So they even tell you like exactly the dates of when they were born. So he's playing someone younger and I could totally see like, you know, it's it's love and an admiration mixed together. And he, he plays that really well. And also she's just so like, I don't understand why you love me, but okay, let's, let's go on. And even in the end where there is a scene where they hug and you can see a little bit in the scene before it where she's talking with his dad that she learns a little bit better at him and his family and maybe now she's getting to understand why he loves her and why maybe she could love him. But also she, it, even till the end, it's never like this big, you know, love affair, but it's also not right. unrequited love. She maybe moved just a little bit towards understanding why he, lo- why he loves her. Yeah, the love story never takes over the the rest of the story, the way it does kind of in something like Bonnie and Clyde, yes. um, where it's two people on the run, which I like. It, it becomes not just like relentlessly heterosexual, right? Yeah. <laughs> which they could have done. <laughs> also, I, something that this movie is very unique is the visuals. Um, you, we talked a little, you talked a little bit about, you know, what it is as an art film, but also just the visuals in the last, few minutes of the movie like the the colors become very lush and i think there is a different visually definitely from the first part which is you know more colors that you would see in an interrogation room or in an office building mm-hmm. to sort of you know they are in meadows that are green and brown and all these yeah. visuals are currently become so beautiful and lush and i think that's also sort of gets you to that it is it looks so beautiful it's breathtaking but it gets you that, that feeling of like oh you know, maybe this is what heaven looks like. Or at least Eden, right? I mean, it's sort of moving, like, let's get away from all of the societal constraints and all the corruption that that brings and all of these, you know, modernist concrete buildings, right? Like a return to nature, Eden, a little bit of androgyny with the haircut too, right? And Mm -hmm. the t-shirt and everything. Like, let's just like get rid of all of this human stuff, all of the human constructs and just return to nature. Um, I don't know if that's heaven or Eden, but I think it's definitely there and it comes with freedom right like getting they're they're becoming more and more free yeah. as they learn to just do what they think is the right thing to do yeah i do love the haircut i think she looks amazing with no hair it's um, unfair she does yeah i asked people on twitter what they liked about heaven and somebody responded to me that haircut alone is gay rights <laughs> that's so <laughs> true and so funny <laughs> it is it is and i i mean it's already it was 18 years ago now like yeah um so i think you know, I mean, there was Sinead O'Connor and some other, you know, like iconic women with shaved heads and stuff. But it was amazing to see one of the the young Hollywood beauties, right, yes. do this role. It was it was exciting. Plus, because she was on so many fashion magazines, mm-hmm. and like there were other actresses, of course, like Vogue has done celebrities and actresses on their covers for a long time. But Kate Blanchett was different. Like she wore clothes. Like she she was like fashion. She wasn't just like an actress in a pretty dress on the cover. Like mm-hmm. she like knew fashion and was like showing up on red carpets and like was, she understood fashion in this like really exciting way. She tells um, a story with her red carpet. Absolutely. She does. And on all the magazine covers and stuff. Cause she really wasn't as famous as most of the other celebrities that, that Anna Winter would put on the cover. Right. But she looked so good in the clothes, but she made them look, she made the clothes look better too. So like her look wasn't just like some sort of superficial 
beautiful actress thing. Like we were all paying attention to her in this like really kind of exciting, like what's coming next sort of way. Yeah. And we still do, you know, mm-hmm. 20 something years later. And also this haircut, I'll share some of these as I was doing research. I found so many photos of her in 2002, 2003 as her hair was growing and yeah. she just looks amazing. Lots of androgynous yeah. looks, lots of yeah. pictures of her with suits, with very short she hair. Suit. She, yes. <laughs> she looks amazing. Yeah. yeah okay. Really... Cut your hair again. <laughs> <laughs> or don't. Do what you want. <laughs> yeah. We're here for it. We'll still watch you, whatever you do. So for Heaven, it's we are as um, we recommend this movie. Like if you're a Kate Blanchett fan, listening to this podcast, you haven't ever seen heaven go right now rent it on amazon or wherever you get your movies it's absolutely yeah. yeah run don't walk yes we recommend it wholeheartedly but kyle i wanted to also talk to you a little bit about elizabeth because i remember um mm. elizabeth was the first time i saw kate and i've already told my story of, of you know, watching Elizabeth and falling in love with Kate. But Elizabeth yeah. was also your first time seeing Kate, right? I think so. <laughs> it's a little hard to remember. Um, but I'm sure that that was the first time I saw her on the big screen. Mm-hmm. And I I worked in a video store in high school for a little while. And I so I remember Oscar and Lucinda sort of being on the shelves. And I don't know if I rented that before Elizabeth or I saw Elizabeth. And then that made me rush and like see anything that I could see <laughs> with her. So I'm not, I'm not totally sure about that. I may have seen Oscar and Lucinda first, uh, but certainly Elizabeth was the first time I saw her like in a movie. And it was like, yeah, that was the falling in love moment. Um, and so sure. you, you think that she was sort of just, I think that she arrived fully formed as a stupendous acting talent in Elizabeth. Was that your reaction or was your reaction Absolutely, different? absolutely. I still think it's one of my favorite performances of hers. And when I go back and rewatch it, I wonder if there, like there's a kind of mystery in the way she looks at the camera, even in that first scene where she's dancing around and her hair is down in that red dress. Mm, yeah. um, I wonder if there isn't a moment where she's kind of learning how to negotiate herself with the camera like what, what's a close-up, what's a long shot, medium shot, or whatever, because there is just so much going on in her eyes. There's so much kind of mystery and intensity. Um, and, and they probably didn't film in sequence either. I mean, yeah. I know this, but, but there is just a magic to that performance. I, I think you're right that she was fully formed, but there might be some kind of level of spontaneity or, or something that she was still bringing from her days on the stage. Yeah. Uh, Maybe she, like, to your point, maybe she didn't yet know how to fill a frame like she does in Carol or she does here in Heaven, but there was definitely the acting talent was there. Oh, maybe yeah. just the technique of being in front of the camera wasn't honed yet. I didn't mean that anything wasn't honed. I think it's yeah. all there. It's perfect. Yeah. I just meant that, like, there's a, there's a sort of, I don't want to say seductive because that doesn't quite capture what I mean, but there's a way that she, like, looks at the camera that I feel like she's... There's a mystery there that kind of goes away in some of the older films where it's like, there's just like strength and clarity of acting. And in Elizabeth, I feel like it's, it's gorgeous for being a little bit rough around the edges. Like yeah. she's so kind of loose in it in a way. That mm. makes sense. 
Yeah. And because Elizabeth was at the beginning, like she charts right. was loose at the beginning and didn't know what she wanted to do. And because she charts that journey, right, right. from being this innocent 17 year old to being the, the stateswoman that we know Elizabeth to be. Yeah, it's probably Kate just being that good, but I don't know. I don't know. She, it's a beautiful performance. I mean, talk about discovering things in the moment. I mean, she never misses a chance to discover things in the moment on camera right in front of us. So t- tell me a little bit about more about that. Is there a scene in particular you're thinking about from Elizabeth when you say that? Uh, it's been a little while since, <laughs> since I've seen it. So I wasn't thinking of a particular moment, um, though I... I, I sort of feel like you could pick any scene from it. That, that's kind of what I mean. I mean, whether or not she's dancing and she sees the way that people are looking at her and she knows that bad news is coming or at least significant news is coming um, when she's put in jail, right? She, she, you know, someone could play the character as kind of like knowing that this is kind of what would happen, right? Or that yeah. Mary is going to say, you know, Mary is going to be oppositional, right? But like mm-hmm. Kate... She she manages to make Elizabeth so optimistic, yeah, for the first half, so that she can play every single kind of bad event as a moment of discovery rather than like a confirmation of what she already knows, which I think um, other actresses might do. So it's just so exciting to watch. Yeah, she's amazing in Elizabeth. I love that performance a lot. And between Elizabeth and Heaven, like the early two thousands, kind of were a rough time to be a Kate fan, or at least. As I remember it, she made these movies that are not really great. I don't know what you think. Like, I'll just list them here. The Man Who Cried, The Gift, Bandits, Charlotte Gray, The Shipping News. Where are the movies she made? Yeah. Plus, The Lord of the Rings. Where are the movies she made between The Talented Mystery of Lee and Heaven? And I don't think there is one good movie among them. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, I do remember the years that I spent just again, pre-Twitter as just a basic sort of town crier, just going around the world talking about how she's so much more than Galadriel. Yes, she just made a really bad movie again, but don't worry, she's still wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, there were there were those years that I, <laughs> me and everyone I knew, you know, stood by her, but we couldn't pretend that Charlotte Gray was very good. Or the shipping news, my goodness, we were all so excited to have Julianne Moore and Kate Blanchett. I mean, Julian Moore coming off of, you know, like Magnolia and Boogie Nights, like yeah. being the other really cool, cool actress. Um, yeah, of the day, like it was a terrible movie. Um, oh I, yeah, yes. I think Pushing Tin has some, I mean, like her moments in Pushing Tin are good. Mm-hmm. And Ideal Husband is the one that was really disappointing as well. Yeah. I love a child. And, um, and again, Julian Moore and Kate Blanchett being in that was was quite disappointing and Rupert Everett too I mean that was yeah. supposed to be you know a chance for him to be a leading man and and that just, just kind of fell was flat very very flat but at least yeah. in an ideal husband Kate and Julianne had scenes together or at least a couple right yeah where in um the shipping news nothing Kate is just dead 10 minutes in or something like that very early on so yeah you do get that sense that with an ideal husband in pushing 10 that Kate and Julian Moore with An Ideal Husband were really trying to see if they could do comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think they both ultimately decided no. <laughs> yes, I agree. Although Kate did comedy this year in documentary now, playing a tape <gasps> on Marina Abramovich, and she was... And she's hysterical. So hysterically funny, yeah. So yes, funny. she needs to do extreme comedy. She can't do, like, light drawing room comedy. Where'd you go, Bernadette? I mean, I think that that should have been a light comedy. Kristen Wiig was great in it, right? Yeah. But, 
it's not my favorite Kate performance. Um, yeah, I mean, I I like that performance, but I think it's I blame Richard Linklater because he wasn't interested in what the book was about. Unfortunately, like that book right. could have made a great movie, but he just wasn't interested in it. He was interested in something completely different. I'm like, so why are you adapting this book? And who knows what that was? I don't know why he was adapting <laughs> that movie either. <laughs> He didn't yeah. seem to have much to say, but then I don't really think he ever does. So we'll just move on from Richard Linklater. Yes, let's move on from him. Um, so do you think there was a time when Kate was underrated? Oh, that's interesting. I'm not sure. I mean, I certainly think there are underrated Kate performances like Heaven or The Missing, mm -hmm. um, I think is a really great performance. In, in a pretty decent movie, actually, that just kind of flew under the radar. Uh, it's hard to say she was underrated just because of the Lord of the Rings movies. I mean, everyone kind of agreed that she was a celestial being, right? Like a yeah. star, a star, yeah. right? Also, so, like, just Elizabeth was such a huge breakout, and everybody was like, yes, this yeah. is the actress. And, I mean, even The Aviator comes pretty early on. I mean, the idea that, like, there's only, like, five years, five or six years between her breakout and us being like, she's so overdue for an Oscar. <laughs> I mean, The Aviator was six years, yeah. It's kind of wild. Um, so, no, I, I don't actually think there is a time that she's been underrated. I think as, she's been you know, in movies that maybe I like that other people like. For instance, I love her in The Good German, and that's a movie that yeah. nobody talks about. Although that's, I think it's not a great movie, but she is amazing in it. She's amazing in it, yeah. And Heaven is another one. Like, nobody talks about Heaven now a lot. Although when I talk about Kate on Twitter, a lot of people will come into my mentions saying Heaven is their favorite. So I guess there is... Um, Mm. There are people who love this. It's a good movie. It's a good title. If you know that not a lot of other people can have seen it, then you mention it, right? Like, it's yeah. what's the point of saying I love her and Elizabeth? Because, like, everyone loves her and Elizabeth. Exactly. Right? That is true. Also, you could sort of virtue signal on Twitter being like, oh, I saw that obscure Tom Tickfer film. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite Kate Blanchett performance? That's really hard. I, I do think... Elizabeth is an incredible performance. I also think Blue Jasmine is like one of the greats mm -hmm. because she's giving us such a character and such an arc and commenting on the history of Blanche Dubois depictions yeah. and updating that and doing, and she's just doing so many interesting things in that film. Um, and I, it, it boggles my mind as to how she, she pulled them all off together. Uh, I feel like I should say Carol as well, but and I love the performance, but I think it, it would be between Elizabeth and Blue Jasmine for me. I think that those are really, those are two performances that just, I cannot imagine anyone else doing. I, I can't either, yeah. Um, I do love her in Carol, and Carol maybe just works as a movie better for me as, as Elizabeth. Oh, right. I mean, Jasmine. as a movie, yeah. yeah. Awesome. But I think her, I always, I go, I change my mind every day, but I think Blue Jasmine is always something I go back to. Yeah. Just like just last month I just put it on to like watch the beginning and then two hours later I've watched the whole thing. And that's just yeah. because I couldn't stop it. It's true. It's an epic performance. It's such yeah. an epic performance. And I've seen her her Blanche on stage and it oh, is yeah. a take on that, but it's also very different than that. So I, who would you like to see Kate work with as somebody who appreciates her work? That's interesting. I would I would love to see her and Emma Stone in something. Mm. I feel like they would both just be like thinking and, and talking at such a rapid fire pace that would be that would be really fun and I think Emma Stone could probably bring out a little bit of that humor that's in there yeah without sacrificing any, any of that kind of gritty realist 
those those notes, right? Like I think there's a way that Emma Stone captures some of the that aspect yeah. of Kate Blanchett. Yeah. They should do a comedy. That would be so much fun. Yeah. yeah, or like a dark, dark comedy. Right? Yeah, yes, obviously. Yes, very dark. Like a Veep style kind of the ref attitude kind of thing. <laughs> Julia Louis Dreyfus can direct them yes. in something. And tell them how to do it. And of course, they won't listen to her, but it would be fun. It would. <laughs> what about you? Do you have people that you would like to see her work with? Um, I mean, I've just been so taken with um, Pedro Almodovar, Spain and Glory lately uh, that I've just every everybody asks me who would you like to see. I'm like, can they can they be in a Pedro Almodovar movie? <laughs> How wonderful would that be? Yeah, and he's been threatening, or you know, not threatening, but saying that he's he might make a movie in English. So, well, he should do. Sorry, I'm now I'm just fantasizing full on, but I don't know. Do you know this um, play called The Human Voice? No, what is it? It's been adapted a couple of times. Ingrid Bergman did one for TV, but it's basically just like a one-woman show and she's on the phone the whole time. I didn't remember all that much. I think her husband's having an affair and she's just desperate to find out. But Almodovar references it all the time. So it's in, it gets like a shout out. I think I talked to her and all about my mother. But if he ever wanted to actually like just do a production or a film version of that play, which he clearly loves, she would be amazing. What is the play about, Kyle? Um, right, it's it's Lavoie Humaine, that's what it is. And it's um it's about a woman, from what I remember, that she's she's depressed and she has a lover who I think is about to marry someone else the next day, and she's just in just utter despair, right? So she's trying to get him back or at least get attention mm -hmm. from him, but it's really more about her kind of being borderline suicidal. Uh and yeah, so it would be an amazing showcase for someone like Kate Blanchett. Yeah, and maybe Emma Stone can play the lover on the phone or something like that. This would not be great. <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, I think that's such a great note to end our conversation with. Let's hope Kate and Emma appear together soon. Kyle, before we go, tell our listeners where they can find you and your work. Oh, um, I am on Twitter at Cinementalist, um, C-I-M-E-N-T-A-L-I-S-T. Uh, and you can find my work sort of anywhere. You can Google me, Google Kyle Stevens film. Things will pop up. And buy Kyle's book that has a yes, essay please. about Kate Blanchett. Great screen performances, um, volume one and two on Amazon. And Mike Nichols, Sex, Language, and the Reinvention of Psychological Realism. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod, Kyle. And you can find me on Twitter at me underscore says and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, thank you for listening.